Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. There's great news during the pandemic. The new Hypermax oxygen system is here. Doctor approved, clinically tested, at home oxygen for improved health, fitness, and especially your immunity. Go to hypermaxoxygen.com. See how 300% more oxygen purity works wonders in only 15 short minutes. You're home anyway, so why not build your immunity and much more? Hypermaxoxygen.com. That's hypermaxoxygen.com. This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined as always by Brendan, and we've got another series loss to discuss, folks. Unfortunately, the Cubs go to Milwaukee. They do pick up one win out of the three, but overall, it is another weekend of losing ground to these Brewers in the NL Central. So we will be breaking down all three of those games, talking about uh, the relevant points from each of them, and certainly after Friday's game, an awful lot happens with the Cubs in terms of their roster construction and uh, bullpen in particular. So we will break all that down. A pretty eventful weekend, all things considered, uh, this early in the year, Brendan. But we we find the Cubs at two and seven, unfortunately. Again, as they they drop uh, two of three to the Brewers and. And we'll we'll get into it uh, when we talk about Saturday's game, Brendan. But I, I wanted to start the podcast just quickly making note of this. There are three constants, I, I think, in the world and certainly our lives, Brendan. Death, taxes, and Jason Hayward hitting the day or two after we express concern about his hitting on this podcast. If you have been a loyal listener of this show... We, we don't harp on that subject very often, but I, I swear every time we do, he goes out and has the best offensive performance of his season, of his life, whatever. So this weekend was no different. He has an amazing game on Saturday, uh, you know, almost putting the team on his back to a degree. So we will break that down. But as you guys know, we are never one to shy away from pointing out when one of these players goes out and uh, proves us wrong, at least in the short term. So hey, tip your hat to Jason Hayward. We're happy to see you uh, have that performance. But we'll, we'll get to that when we get to Saturday's game. But Brendan, let's start with uh, Friday's game. That is where, of course, this series begins. And folks, this was uh, another in the, the the same story that we have seen from these Cubs so far all too often in the early going in 2019. 
This is the second loss on the 2019 season for the Chicago Cubs in which they scored 10 runs. That is not a stat you would like to have exist, uh, especially this early in the season, Brendan. Um, But I I, I pointed it out, I think, on the Real Cubs Insider Twitter handle that last year the Cubs lost 15 games, I think out of 87, in which they had scored four or more runs. Obviously, uh, they have done that quite a bit in the 2019 season, as only uh, in one of their games do they not score four runs prior to Sunday's loss to the Brewers. So uh, certainly some some really concerning trends here early in the season uh, when you cannot capitalize on W's when your offense is scoring at least four runs, and in the Cubs case to start 2019, often a good bit more than four runs. So not great. Uh, the final on Friday, 13-10. to 10, Jose Quintana was an unmitigated disaster in this one. He goes three innings, eight hits, eight earned runs, three walks, three strikeouts. He gives up three bombs. This was just not a good outing uh, from Jose Quintana. And Friday is kind of the uh, the boiling point, if you will, for the Carl Edwards Jr. situation. The Cubs start to claw their way back in this one in the middle innings. They get it to 8-5 to five on Wilson Contreras' second homer of the year. He would add his third later in the weekend. We will certainly be talking about how good Wilson Contreras looks in the early going here. Uh, but then Carl comes in and he lets the Brewers add some more runs, giving up a home run to Orlando Ar- which, Brendan, that's a, Give me a about as low as it gets. I mean, if there was any other way for this Carl thing to kind of reach its breaking point, I'm pretty sure it's letting Orlando Arcia hit home runs off of you. And that made it 10-5 to for the Brewers, and Eric Thames homer would make it 13. The Cubs would continue to claw their way back. Jason Hayward hitting his first homer of the weekend on Friday. I honestly don't know how many times I've even uttered that phrase. His first homer of the weekend, folks. (laughs) Hold on. We've got more. Um, The Cubs would add a few in the ninth to ultimately make it 13 to 10, but that was the story. It was another night of Joe trying his best to hand the ball to these guys from this bullpen, Uh, but Edwards was no good. Brandon Kinsler has uh, his first blow-up outing of the year, allowing three runs and that is all she wrote. So, Brendan, I want to stop here because obviously we get some significant movement from the Cubs after this game or prior to Saturday's game, rather. Carl Edwards Jr. optioned to Triple A Iowa. Mike Montgomery on the injured list with a lat injury. Jen Ho Sang designated for assignment, and then the corresponding moves for the Major League Baseball team, reliever Alan Webster comes up, and reliever Kyle Ryan comes up. Those two, a righty and a lefty, respectively. You've obviously, uh, in the rest of this series with Milwaukee, seen those guys get in some action. So, Brendan, I want to throw it to you real quickly, uh, and and we'll, we'll we'll look at some some quotes from Theo and Joe, but. We talked on the on the last podcast after the Atlanta series that the time for 
you know, kind of holding these guys to the fire and saying either you're going to get the job done or we are going, we have to look elsewhere. We see that urgency on, on Saturday morning or afternoon as the Cubs already making some changes. And unfortunately, with someone like Edwards, who has been a big part of this bullpen for the last few years, the, the accountability is showing. It doesn't matter who you are, you need to perform or they're going to look elsewhere. It had to happen. I think we all knew it had to happen. And for Carl, it sucks because, like we talked about, he tried so many things to get back on track, but it had to happen. And I think the two corresponding moves to get Kyle Ryan and Alan Webster up are interesting. And we saw Joe go to them right away. And I think of the two, I actually thought I would be more interested in Alan Webster, and I still am. I think I might be more interested in Kyle Ryan just because that release point, Corey, that is extremely interesting to me. I think uh, I wrote about this on Cubs Insider, but Ryan's release point is further to the first base side and the 99% of lefties in the game. That That's pretty interesting. So the results in the early going, I think he walked, what, three batters this this weekend, whatever ended up being three or four. The results are not necessarily there yet, but Joe went to him in yeah. some medium to high leverage situations. Yeah, right away. Right away. And then same thing with Alan Webster. He followed up Ryan, I think, both appearances. And Webster, first outing, got roughed up. The second outing uh, looked better, settled in, was displaying a good changeup, a good slider, some mid to upper 90s heat. I, I'm not expecting anything per se from those two guys, but it's at least a, a step in the right direction that we're finally seeing. And by finally, I mean, it's a week only into the season, so I'm not going to over-exaggerate, but we're seeing the Cubs display that urgent mindset that they talked about. And it sucks that it's coming so early, that the bullpen and these changes are being made so early, but it was necessary. Carl could not go back out there and do what he was doing and cost himself not only confidence and productivity going forward, but the Cubs current games. It just had to happen, Corey. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, Webster and Ryan attacked uh, with some runs in Saturday's game as, as like you said, Joe getting them into the fire right away, uh, but both of them with successful outings on Sunday. Uh, like you said, in both outings, Ryan comes in first, Webster follows him. Uh, both of them on Sunday pitching an inning and a third, allowing no runs uh, and just a couple hits between them. So baby steps, right? And I think that's what it's about. It's basically we're going to give you guys a shot now. Here's your chance to to earn a, a role and earn some higher leverage innings, and let's see what you got. So that's that's pretty much where this uh, where this bullpen is at. And you know Theo has already been giving a load of quotes, which is never really good this this early in in the season. Um, and you know basically he said that this is not on Tommy Hadovy, this is not on Tom Ricketts, this is on me. And, you know, as we've said before, he's speaking to the media. Of course, I am certainly not expecting Theo to ever come out and say, no, you know what? This is Ricketts' fault. He didn't give me enough money. Or Tommy Hadovy stinks. We made a mistake. It's not really something I would expect. But I... You know, I, I think that Theo talked at the end of the year about him and his front office taking a little more accountability, and I at least appreciate him uh, trying to keep the 
ire of everybody on him, and and that's his job. The, these guys need to go out and play. They they have a job to do in the dugout every day, and the last thing you need is everybody's eyes on the the coaches and and little things like that. So uh, whether he is blaming someone else or not, I, I do appreciate Theo coming out and saying like, look, I constructed this bullpen. Don't worry about Tommy Hadovy. Don't worry about Joe. I'm the one that built this team. If it's not working, it's on me. And, uh, you know, if we're being honest, it is for the most part. Uh, We've certainly talked about other ways that it's not, but for the most part, it is. It's his roster. So I I think that this is definitely not how you want it to start. But they're like, like we talked about at the end of that Atlanta series, they are making the adjustments and they are clearly not going to give all of these guys a super long leash. It really does feel like a either put up or you're getting sent out of here type situation because there is just no, you're running out of real estate for this, right? We, we talked about this at the end of the last series where it's way too early to panic or I, I think even write off is it what is it though? well I what mean, I mean is, is what I mean is it's it's too early to necessarily count this team dead or, or say that they're going to finish in last place whatever but the urgency does need to be there because there, there's no guarantee that Milwaukee ever comes back down to earth they could just sprint away and win 105 games and if you wait too long to get it going it's very hard for you to catch them so I I guess that's all just to say I appreciate the urgency the Cubs have shown in saying, okay, look, we tried this Edwards thing. We threw him back out there on Friday to to give him one last shot to see if he can turn this into something, and we've got to move on. So moving to Saturday, those are the the Cubs' moves that they make on Friday. Uh, The Cubs win this one. We get to fly the Ws for the first time since opening day, Uh, break out that Steve Goodman and and listen to Go Cubs Go. It's, uh, like I said, the the record there has been getting a little dusty in the early going here. But the final in this one, 14-8, to and this, Brendan, really simply kind of just an effort where the offense was refusing to lose this game. Uh, They had had enough of scoring six plus runs and losing and they just were not going to stop. Uh, the Cubs did fall behind early in this one on a Lorenzo Cain leadoff home run, uh, but in the second, Jason Hayward gives the Cubs the lead with his second home run of the weekend. Like I said, we're not done there. Uh, Lorenzo Cain would tie it back up at two. Victor Caratini adding his first home run of the year, a two-run shot to give the Cubs a four-to-two lead. Baez homering to add to that, and a Mora single and a Cole Hamill sacrifice fly in the sixth made it 7-2. to two. Milwaukee inching back in. Uh, Ryan Braun with a home run to make it 7-5 to five in the seventh, but in the top of the eighth, like I said, the Cubs offense saw what was coming and said, not today. <laughs> this is not happening again. Jason Hayward with his second home run of the game, his third in two days between Friday and Saturday. He makes it 8-5, to five, a Rizzo double, a Bodie bases-clearing double, and a Victor Caratini single made it 14-5. to five. The Brewers would add three in the bottom of the eighth, but that would be all she wrote. I do want to direct your attention, before we talk a little bit about just the offensive performance in this game, on the Bodie bases-clearing double, if you have not seen this replay yet, you should go find it. Uh, Javi is behind Rizzo on the base pads, and he gets ever so close, Brendan, to lapping him. He, he could have tagged him if they were playing a game of tag as they're trying to uh, get to home. 
and you can see the smile on the both of their faces because you know <laughs> Javi's yelling something at Rizzo, like, I'm right behind you, Tony. And so if you haven't seen that, it, it's it, this early season has been rough for us Cubs fans and certainly for the Cubs. But this was one of those moments where a, a brief reminder of, you know, that this team is a lot of fun and can be a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen that, I would I would encourage you to go check that out in the top of the eighth. Uh, Javi and Rizzo having a little bit of fun there. But Brendan, on Saturday, uh, I thought Cole Hamels was pretty good in this game. Obviously, he gives up the leadoff home run, but he ends up going six, six hits, two earned, no walks, and five strikeouts. That no walks is a big number, obviously, for this pitching staff. It was good to see uh, a veteran go out there and kind of calm things down. And he got into some jams early in the game, but multiple times limiting the damage and and keeping this offense in a place where we've seen them putting up runs. Uh, They have not been in a premium for this club to start the year and Hamels gave them a chance like I'm going to keep you guys in this just keep fighting those at bats and you'll you'll get there eventually and they did good work against Corbin Burns the Brewers starter they get him out after five they touch him up for seven runs they take three walks they hit three home runs so this was a, a really good game I think overall the the bullpen masking it a little. Obviously, Ryan and Webster making their uh, first outings here for the Cubs. Uh, Two runs for Ryan, one run for Webster. The three of them all coming on that Braun home run, but charged differently as Webster gives it up. Uh, And then Rosario giving up three in uh, that eighth inning to kind of get the Brewers closer. And uh, one last thing before I turn it to you, Brendan. Was there anything more relatable than the clip that caught Joe Madden uh, saying, <laughs> I am so effing sick of this expletive after Rosario gave up those runs. Uh, it, it was. I think I said the same thing out it loud. It was so... It was spot on. It was just so spot on, exactly. Yeah. And I, I love seeing that from Joe. We So much of this early season, people wondering, like, they want to blame Joe. And we've talked about this a little bit. They want to blame Joe for his decisions. Is Joe a lame duck? This, that, and the other. And this was just so emblematic to me of why I've been defending Joe in this early going. Like, what do you want him to do? They're up 14 to 5. You bring in Rosario and say, hey, man, like, let's move this thing along, get some outs, like, please. And it just doesn't work. The two new guys he gives the ball to, they're giving up runs. For your manager, like, you've like he said, you've got to be sick of this, like enough already. At some point, you have to look at these players and say, you guys need to do your job. I think even outside of looking at Theo and Tom for the roster construction for some of this, some of this, you ha- you can't just always look for an excuse for these players. These guys are major league baseball players. They get paid to throw baseballs for a living. You need to do your job. You can't come in there walking people and serving up meatballs every time you come in there. Like at a certain point, we can nitpick the decisions. We've talked about the roster construction endlessly, but like on Saturday, Randy Rosario, you got to do your job, man. Like you've got- He's the next to go probably. You've got a nine run lead all right? Like, do your job. Get some outs. Like, enough already with this. But yeah. Joe was amazing. That, that clip is so amazing. And unfortunately, it may <laughs> it may get a, a, a good bit of use in, in this early going, uh, just Joe saying he's sick of this. So, but any, any thoughts uh, on 
just this game, Hamels, and again, like I said, Jason Hayward going three for three in this game. He scores three runs, he drives in three, he walks twice, and he steals two bases. I think I read uh, one of those stats that he might be the only Cub to ever hit two home runs, walk twice, and steal two bases in a baseball game. And I know we just got done saying I'm I, I can't deal with another year of oh Hayward's turning it around oh no he's not oh he's turning it around but like look two home runs in this game and the second one was kind of that vintage Jason Hayward taking it the other way to left center and he's catching up to some heat Brendan like I, I I'm not I don't want to do this again but <laughs> like it, maybe the, I know I'm doing it I just <laughs> I just totally said that it. I know but all right oh, I'll throw it to man. you any thoughts on this one. In the early going here, this was uh, a mostly solid game and uh, quite a relief, really, just to to see them get that last out, win a game, and kind of take a breather, if only for a day, as it turns out. Well, two takeaways. The first takeaway is, thank God for Cole Hamels. Uh, I thought the first three innings, he was honestly kind of terrible. There was a tweet that Brett Taylor of Bleacher Nation put out that showed quite literally that I think 10 of uh, Hamill's batted balls against were over 100 miles per hour in exit velocity. So he was not good in the early going. And the Cubs defense did kind of bail him out and he got a little bit fortunate. That being said, though, after the third inning, he really settled down and he looked phenomenal, in my opinion, after that. He was spotting up change-ups, spotting up fastballs. He was working the curveball-slider combination. So innings five and six in particular are probably his best, uh, I thought. So he started off bad, finished strong. But that's that's a type of performance that, that the Cubs staff needs to do and go out there and do consistently, is even if in the early going things get roughed up, the Cubs can't go to their bullpen right now in the third and fourth inning. Not only are they right. walking, guys, as we know, but... To get to the later st- stages of the game, you can't be burning Steve Cizek and these guys in games that have no meaning because the subsequent games are going to be messed up as a result. So that performance, that fourth, fifth, and sixth inning by Cole Hamels was huge. Yes, it got the W, but it does set them up a little bit more comfortable for this upcoming series at Wrigley Field. So that was the first takeaway. The second takeaway was, of course, Jason Hayward. Like, that's what you want to see from a guy who's been struggling now for three baseball seasons. And to couple that with Victor Caratini and Albert Almora, we we made the joke, but prior to that game starting, I messaged you and Evan. I'm like, oh my God, we're going to have Victor Hayward, Almora, and the pitcher spot, not in that order, but at six, seven, eight, nine. Like, are you kidding me? And Caratini and Hayward got on base 10 times. <laughs> I mean, right. it was almost too perfect. So yeah, those, of course, are the two takeaways. Uh, we did see, as I alluded to earlier, Kyle Ryan make his debut and Alan Webster make uh, his debut. Uh, so that was cool to see. They both came in in somewhat of a high leverage situation like we talked about. But that was a necessary win, man. I don't think any of us wanted to go into that Sunday game down one in seven. It's just right. it was it was a clutch win, a clutch performance by Hamels, a clutch performance by Hayward. The defense stepped up. So overall, that was that was more familiar, so to speak, of the Cubs that we've seen in the past few seasons. Even when things get bad in the early going, we saw many times, even in 2017 when they got to a bad start, they came back consistently. And so that was good to see, Corey. 
Yeah, and I and like you said, I do want to give uh, credit to Victor Caratini too. Uh, you know, he was one of those guys where I think us and a lot of people were a little concerned, intrigued at the Cubs' decision to not get a veteran backstop. And Caratini's look good in the early going here. He, yeah, he looks yes. good when he catches Hamels. Uh, they call a nice game together. We we rarely see, you know, mix-ups or, or bad frames from him when Hamels is pitching. And he's hitting the ball right now. So uh, you, you got to tip your cap to him for, for taking advantage, at least in the early going, of those opportunities. And as Wilson is ripping the cover off the ball, you know, those opportunities may not be super plentiful, but that's the role he has. So I I give him a lot of credit for uh, the the job that he's done in the early going. Now, I do want to mention one thing, though, before you move on is Rizzo. Also that game, he he does have a few clutch hits, especially that double to kind of break things open later in the game. Mm -hmm. But he's looked phenomenal in the early going, I thought, as well. Um, Just... Even when he's making outs at times, he's still barreling up. And even when he's not barreling up, the at-bats are pretty good. Like that, and you're going to go into it right now, but even in that third game with his at-bat against Hayter, he ended up striking out, granted, but he worked back from an 0-2 count to get to a full count. And this time last year, Rizzo was about to be placed on the injured list, as we are now referring uh, to it. So that's, that's good to see. If there's any encouraging signs in the early portion of the year in in total it is the offense but in particular I think one of the most encouraging signs is just Rizzo's doing his thing and he, he appears healthy and to have that consistency in the middle of the order hopefully KB can rebound and get back to that to that you know stage where him and Rizzo are just going off to have at least Rizzo doing his part to have that anchor in the middle of the order has been huge for the team and one of the reasons why they keep putting up 10 runs a game. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's very good to see Tony doing his thing. And uh, like you said, unfortunately, equally as discouraging is the way Chris Bryant looks right now. I think we'll, we'll talk about that eventually as well. But Tony looking good uh, is a very good thing. He is a very good baseball player. And after the game on Saturday, I do have to mention that he posted on his Instagram. He got in yeah, with the, the media scrum after the game surrounding Hayward's locker. Um, and he he basically just asked him about his hot body, I think was uh, basically the, 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 the quote. The camera for, phone was like angling downwards. Right. Hayward up. was shirtless, <laughs> naturally. I, sh- I should point that out for, for context. But uh, Rizzo having a little fun there. So between that and the the chasing Javi, or Javi chasing him, yeah, rather, obviously, on the bases, uh, Rizzo was having fun out there. But after the game, he said, uh, Jason, do you feel blessed to have the body that you have? So that was a that was a fun one. I'm, I'm glad the guys can can keep it loose. Uh, I've often said it's even when they're losing, it's better that they're loose than everybody's all tight and miserable and 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 stuff like that. So, like us. Yeah, leave that to us. I mean, that, that really <laughs> yeah. is the point. I mean, leave that to yeah. us. Like, it doesn't help for them to to feel like that. So it's it's easier for us to just feel like that. So Sunday's game, Brendan, is an interesting one because it's a pretty normal baseball game. The the Cubs drop the finale, the rubber match in Milwaukee, four to two. Uh, they can't solve Josh Hader for two and two thirds, which is certainly not a movie we have not seen the ending to before. But it's especially frustrating just because in a vacuum, a 4-2 to loss to this Brewers team where they're able to get in Hader with a lead uh, you know, in those later innings 
you're not really that angry about it. It's frustrating, but join the club of of teams that have not been able to solve Hader. And, you know, we know this Brewers team is good. Yelich is going to get you uh, at some point, as he did on Sunday. In a vacuum, I think you'd be like, all right, whatever. Like, it's in Milwaukee. You know, you can, uh, you know, you're going to lose some like this, right? When you start two and six, it's a little different, though. And, you know, this is kind of where that conversation we were having after the Atlanta series comes into play, where it's very early in the season. The Cubs have played nine games. They literally have 151 baseball games, uh, excuse me, 153 baseball games left in this season. But you've dug a bit of a hole, and it does put pressure on a game like this where, you know, it's not as easy to just write it off and saying, ah, you know, it's a close one. You win some, you lose some, right? You, you put a little more pressure on games like this. So it, it's kind of an odd one to to really react to. But like I said, the Cubs losing 4-2, to two, Kyle Hendricks outdone by his, uh, you know, counterpart, usually his worst counterpart in uh, Zach Davies, who goes five and two-thirds, five hits, no earned runs, two walks, and a strikeout. Kyle Hendricks only lasts four. In this one, he goes uh, with eight hits, four earned runs, one walk, four strikeouts. And he does surrender a two-run shot to Christian Yelich in the first inning. It's like I said, Brendan. I think this one's pretty simple. It, it was it was not a very eventful game. Uh, you fall behind early to this Brewers team. They're they're going to start concocting their plan for how they can get the ball to Hater uh, and whoever else they they have available in that bullpen. Wilson Contreras with his third home run of the year to make it four to two. The Cubs did have their chances. Like you said, Rizzo got up there uh, with a chance and had a really good battle with Josh Hader. Uh, Rizzo always seems to have good battles with him. The two of them, uh, they're really fun at bats to watch. Uh, Rizzo's taken him deep before, yeah. And and Rizzo almost gets him at the end of that wild card game, uh, just just to the track or just shy of the track uh, on that last Ugh, out. Don't bring that up. Well, I'm just saying it's a credit to Rizzo more than anything. Like I'm already down but, enough, Corey. Come on. Sorry, but he has a good battle with him. But it, you know, ultimately, like I said, Hater Hater gets the best of them as we've seen before. So. I guess, Brendan, just your thoughts on this one. And, you know, now as the Cubs head home on on Monday afternoon to open the Wrigley Field set against the Pittsburgh Pirates, the the trash ball Pittsburgh Pirates, getting in another fight on Sunday afternoon with the Cincinnati Reds. Stop me if you've heard that one before. The Pirates are throwing at someone. Um, Clint Hurdle's at it again, Brendan. But never ends. The Cubs are two and seven. Like, let's let's take stock of where we're at, right? So the the series okay. is over. You've dropped two of three. Uh, the Brewers yep. are eight and two. They have a run differential that is like barely above zero at this point, and the Cubs are two and seven. But yep. and they have not stepped foot at Wrigley Field yet. So how are you? How are you feeling about this? And and you know, as we talked about in the last episode, when you've got over a hundred and fifty games left. But you've dug yourself a bit of a hole. And I think for me, I am not concerned long-term about this team. The the bullpen has been atrocious, but this offense looks really good for the most part. There's some really good individual things going on in this offense, which we'll we'll talk about after we kind of just get our impressions of this series here. Uh, But... like, Like, I think of a year like 2016 for the Cubs, for example, where the Cubs 
from pole to pole, they just shoot out in first place. They have one bad stretch the whole year. They end up winning 103 games. And it's basically like good luck to anybody if you're going to try to catch us for the entire year. And I, I don't necessarily anticipate that for Milwaukee, but the danger in starting two and seven, and I think for me, the proper way to contextualize this start is I'm not really worried about this team in the long run. I, I still think this is a, a very good team and they will you know, start to tighten things up. I think they really did in these last two games. Uh, and I think they will going forward, especially playing at Wrigley Field, playing some you know not great teams at Wrigley Field. But you just run the risk of there's nothing really to say that Milwaukee can't just run away and hide. They, they've been playing very well for over a year now, despite you know, any number of people not really buying that they're that good, but that doesn't really matter, right? There, There's just nothing yeah. to say that they can't throw Josh Hader two innings a game. No one can hit him. He never gets hurt somehow, and it always just seems to work out for them. So I think that's the danger, is that Sunday's game is, is kind of a microcosm of how I feel about this whole season. Like, it's a pretty normal loss. It's really not that big a deal, especially on the road, but you've dug a hole and, you know, now you have to dig your way out of it. And and that's always, you know, I think a concerning spot to be in. But where are you after this weekend as the Cubs head back to Wrigley Field? I'm in a better spot mentally than, than I was recording the episode before. Well, that was a low bar, series. Brendan. Well, everyone was on the verge, including myself, yeah. jumping off their back on these. But, okay, so I, I've had a chance to now, you know, calm down a little bit. The demotion and the injured list move from Mike Montgomery to bring up Ryan and Webster was, I think, more or less a relief, knowing at least there is some hope for that bullpen. So that was good to see. And personally, I think seeing Ryan and Webster go out there and at least for Webster, have some mild success. I know he had that one home run, but that outing today, Sunday, looked pretty good. So where I am right now is a little bit better. The offense, though, of course, is the reason to be excited. And I think if you can continue to get what you're getting from Wilson Contreras going forward, that's a huge boost to this offense. And I think even Schwarber, if he continues to do what he's doing, again, you're looking at a one through six that rivals most one through six lineups in the league. So that's great to see. And Looking back in the past three baseball seasons, so even 2016, right? The Cubs always go through a stretch like this. And I know Theo and I know Joe, they both said it, that the early season struggles get magnified because there's not that many games. But it's kind of true, I guess. And I remember last year, they went through a 2-7 and seven stretch as well. And they did so just before the All-Star break. So in, in the later portion of June... They ended up getting swept by the Cincinnati Reds. Remember that, Corey? I think mm-hmm. it was a four-game set. And so in that time, they went 2-7. and seven. The previous year, we all remember, you and I were at all three of these games in Los Angeles. They got swept by the Dodgers. Oh, that they was the San Diego. worst series, Brandon. That was the worst the series. Worst. <laughs> now, not only did we suffer through those three games, I went to San Diego to go to go right, do it right again. after. Yeah, yeah so I, I saw five straight losses. Um, that was an all-time worst for me. And then even looking back to 2016, they went, I think the number was, what, 5-19 and 19 just before the All-Star break? That 103-win team went 5, whatever it was, that terrible stretch. So I guess the point I'm, I'm making here 
is that yes, the Cubs maybe on paper are not to the standard that we've seen from just the bullpen point of view in the previous seasons. But on the same side, their offense is arguably better than last year, just assuming that guys like Schwarber, Contreras, and KB play consistently and play up to the standard we know they can do. So that's encouraging. And I think, yeah, if they can go into Wrigley Field and come out with, I don't know, a sweep at least in one of these series, we're all going to be feeling pretty good about ourselves. And just just to add to this too, I know Milwaukee's off to an 8-2 and two start, but Corey, please tell me if I'm going nuts here. There is no way they can get through this season with the same type of bullpen for performance, not only from Hater, but from the rest of that. I mean, you would bullpen. hope not, right? There's no way. There's I, absolutely no way. Yeah. And looking at Fangraph's projections for the rest of the season, it's it's bizarre to even suggest. But right now, the Cubs are projected to win 85 games. Not good. Not good, right? But Milwaukee's projection is 86 wins. Okay, that's basically right on par. So despite the Cubs getting off to the worst, nightmarish, imaginable start possible, and the Brewers getting off to an incredible start. The margin for them being right on top of one another by season's end is right there. And so it's still well within the realm of possibility that they can get back into this thing. Yeah. So so here, here's where I, am, where I am, just to wrap up my final thoughts from the series. The offense extremely encouraging and I think if there's anything that I'm thinking of when trying to find some positive uh, thoughts about this team it is that offense the second takeaway is I'm personally feeling more confident about the rotation than I did I think even going into the year I, I the reason is because one Cole Hamels looks like the same guy from last year two Lester is still doing his thing and three despite Hendricks looking he got look. He got roughed up. He got ambushed. If you watch those at bats early on, he got ambushed. His stuff still looks pretty good to me, and he was th- still throwing strikes uh, around the zone. He got squeezed a little bit, but ultimately, like this is the rotation I think you kind of wanted to see. Q got destroyed. That that's got to get fixed. And it was his first start. He has not started in like weeks, going back to spring training. So we'll see what happens with Q. But his first outing was pretty good. Point being, rotation. Looks pretty stable, I think, in my perspective. The offense looks pretty stable in my perspective. The bullpen hopefully starts trending upwards. And if baby steps, it, yeah, yeah, baby steps. If there's any assign, if there's any good sign, is that last game where the bullpen came in four innings, no runs. That's a sign, at least baby steps, Corey. Yeah, for sure. And look, like you've got the Brewers sixteen more times this yep. season, so go. you're yep. gonna have your chances to do it. Like I said, I, I'm not concerned really at all honestly about this team in the long run i really 100 percent a little bit are you just like projecting right uh, now of, gotta the, be a little of the team i'm saying them alone on what they control i i 100 believe in this group to turn things around and ultimately have a good season like i said if i have any concern it lies within that you've now dug yourself a hole and even though you play the brewers 16 more times you getting rid of your ability to sort of control your own fate, if you will, right, even with 150 plus games left, you know, is is unsettling, right? Because again, like, now you've had this bad stretch. We've seen that, like, in 2016, the Cubs have this bad stretch when they're already 
exit games in first place and they can kind of afford it. You know, so now you've kind of removed, you know, you really can't afford another, if they turn things around at home, you you can't really afford too many stretches like this. So, uh, but no, I mean, like in terms of this team, I think they they themselves will be good. I I believe that they will turn this around uh, and hopefully that starts on Monday at Wrigley Field. But Brendan, I want to talk specifically about Wilson Contreras. This is one of the things that, you know, throughout spring training and heading into this year, we bookmarked as a really important person and note for this team was Wilson Contreras getting back to what we've seen from him at times at the plate. And he could not, he like really literally could not have started this season uh, off on a better note. And his current slash line, Brennan, 364, 517, 864 is his slugging percentage. That is good for a 556 Woba and a 232 WRC plus. He has three home runs and seven RBIs on the season. And perhaps one of even amongst all those gaudy numbers, the most noteworthy might be that he is walking at a higher rate than he's striking out, a 20.7 walk rate right now and a 17.2 K rate. I obviously do not expect him to keep up a 1300 OPS a la, you know, kind of like vintage Barry Bonds, but this is a very good start for him. He's driving the ball, he's hitting home runs, and there was just such long stretches last year, Brendan, where he just didn't look right at the plate. So many uh, jam shots, you know, getting in on his hands, rolling over to shortstop with those soft ground balls, the, the power just not being there, the, the driving of the ball not being there. And if we were going to only look at the early portion of this season as an indicator of whether or not that version of Contreras is back or the one that we were hoping for, it certainly looks like the one that we were hoping for. Absolutely. I think that amongst every single other offensive performance is probably the most encouraging. And it's not just the the results. And of course, you want the results. But even when he's making outs, the bats are of quality. And the power going gap to gap, even the homers that he's not hitting, he's still going gap to gap. There has been doubles in the right field gap. He had that homer in Sunday's game that went oppo. You rarely saw that from Wilson last year. And we know that he talked to Kelly Cruel about this, that he did not deserve to have a good offensive season last year. He said that straight up, like, hey, I did not work hard enough. I did not deserve it. Granted, Wilson is a type of guy who has extremely high standards for himself. So maybe in his eyes, he didn't work hard enough, but the reality is he probably did. Regardless, that is incredible, honestly. To to get him back on track, to get him to the point where, you know what, maybe he's your fifth hitter on a daily basis. Depending upon what they want to do with the front four, maybe he's even your cleanup hitter at times, like he was in 2018 in the early portion of the season. So, yeah, if there is one takeaway from just the entire season that's positive, you got to give it to Contreras. What he's doing, I think even defensively, he looks a little bit softer, a little bit quieter behind the dish, still making some some frames that are just not just the standard we've seen with David Ross and Miguel Montero in the past. But he's definitely working on it, and there are pitches where I'm like, you know what? I never saw Wilson do that last year. 
so Corey, I think, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest positive performance we've seen in these first nine games. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think certainly it's always hard to tell, you know, when you're talking about pitch framing or receiving and things like that, it's hard to really judge improvements like that in such a small sample so far this year. But I, I, I do think he's looked better visibly. And I think certainly like far from it, like any of the pitching issues are his fault. So I, I, I think he's looked better and he looks great at the plate. And if he can be a stable presence in the middle of this order, it, it, you know, it, it. I don't think you can oversell how important that is. Uh, if he if he were able to do that, so I think that's a positive. I, I do want to talk about Chris Bryant a little bit, though. He <laughs> right back to the negatives. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think no, that I know. We him getting right it. is is just as important. Yeah. Um, and you know, yeah. we already talked about Rizzo. Uh, I think you know, do want to note like Daniel Descalso has looked very good in in the limited time that he's got in there. Just one thing about Descalso, yeah. and I, I went into the season fully expecting not to enjoy his at-bats. I've enjoyed his at-bats. I think I'm, I'm very confident when he goes up there mm-hmm. that he's going to give you a professional at-bat. So if there's any other positive thing going from this, to see Descalso do that, to provide some power, you know, have good at-bats, go oppo, he's kind of like, to some degree, almost like a mini Zobris in terms of his plate approach. I like it. It's been fun to watch. Yeah, and you know that's another one where he hasn't been getting in there every day, but when he's gotten in there and, and been called upon, he has been good and delivered uh, results for this team through Sunday a three forty eight batting average and a nine forty five OPS. Like I said, he's not playing every day, but that's what you want from someone like that. When Joe calls his number, you want him to, like you said, give you professional at bats, flash some power every now and again, take your walks, and I, I think he's looked good. Yeah, I've I've been. I've been pleased with with his addition. Uh, I think certainly more so than my feelings on Tommy Lastella, who's you know sort of Oof. in effect who he replaces. So I've I've been pleased with that as well. But I, I I do just want to talk about Chris Bryant because I think it's it's very apparent that he has not looked good in the in this early going here, uh, especially in these last few series. And I I just want to ask what you think is up and the, the the main reason that I ask that is because just as much as we talk about how important some of these guys success is we all went into this season saying there is literally nothing more important for this team than Chris Bryant being healthy and being closer to himself. I have no reason to believe that he's not healthy. We heard that he was all spring and he said, you know, I think before today's game maybe on Sunday that he's fine. But he just doesn't look right. He's got a 231 batting average and a 687 OPS. And he, you know, is is swinging through pitches that I think we've just come accustomed to hoping Chris would hit 450 feet. So what do you think is is up with KB here? Everything looks a little bit muted, so to speak. So even his exit velocity and his hard hit percentage, his Woba, expected Woba, everything you want to look at is basically within league average so only the 50th percentile if you want to go to that degree which is okay it's it's not as if he's he's looking god awful out there i think ultimately if you were really concerned about kb it would one be because of his health and two if he was expanding his zone or whiffing nonstop, and that's not necessarily the case i know his strikeout rate is a little bit higher than what you want to see but he's still making a little bit below league average contact, which is what he did 
last year and even the season before that. So this may just be a stretch for KB. And he started off with that oppo homer in the first game against a fastball low and away where he's never hit a homer off that pitch in that location to that portion of the field. So yeah, I'm not concerned about KB. I think it sucks to see him struggle in -hmm. the early portion of the season. But granted, it's only been nine games. We have a lot more to go with him. And it could just be a stretch for him. We know all it takes for him is like maybe one or two games where he has, before you know it, like a two or three homer game and things start uh, trending up for him. But that's 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 where I'm at. I'm not concerned. The, the, the swing looks the same. He's not using a two-handed swing like he was when his shoulder was hurting last year. And it's just, I think, one of those things where, yeah, he's slumping right now. And, and to be fair, pitchers are attacking him up in the zone. And he hasn't adapted yet, but I expect him to do so. He's too smart. He's too good. He's too talented for him not to get it right within uh, the next week or two. I have no concerns about Chris Bryant, Corey. Yeah, I'm with you. As long as he is healthy, I have no concern. You'll get me to bet against Chris Bryant over my dead body. So (laughs) I will admit as freely as anybody, he he has not looked good. He looks off for, for some reason. And with plenty of these guys we, we've seen that happen and they just got to work through it. it it's really not unique for I would say any of these hitters to just have games where it's just not there and I think that you know like you look at Baez on Friday goes 0 for 4 with four strikeouts but you know then he can show up the next day and start smacking the ball around it, it just is one of those things that he just doesn't look great at the moment and you know really even through like entering this Brewers series like Bryant even after Friday's game uh you know he goes two for five in that one he had an 820 OPS which is not where you want Chris Bryant to be but it's not like it's the worst thing in the yeah, world that's what I'm saying it's not like the so worst. yeah exactly I I think that he's just in one of those stretches and I, he's just got to work out of it. But like I said, as long as he's healthy, which we have received no indication uh, visually or otherwise that he is not, I fully expect him to put together ultimately an, an MVP level season. Um, so like I said, I, you're you're never going to get me to bet against Chris Bryant. Um, I think when he struggles, the amount of people that kind of show themselves that don't understand how good Chris Bryant has been is really high, uncomfortably high for my liking. Um, To me, you're not like proving a point or anything about yourself like by dogging Chris Bryant. Uh, I think that has the opposite effect than some of some of the people in our like Twitter mentions (laughs) would think. (laughs) Like I'm not thinking you're a, a genius for saying that, just just a heads up. So yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not betting against Brian, but I I do think it's fair to say like look, he just doesn't look like himself. He doesn't look good right now. And you know, if we're going to pick apart some of these other guys, you know, every everybody's fair game. I always say to people like I don't have a dog in this race necessarily, right? I want the Cubs to be good. I'm more than happy to to talk about anybody if they're struggling, John Lester included. Like, I just want the Cubs to win. I don't specifically care who's the ones doing it. So we'll talk about KB if he looks bad. But in terms of worrying about him for the rest of the year, uh, I think you're on the wrong podcast if you're looking for that for <laughs> from, from me and Brendan. So uh, certainly not going to be doing that. But Brendan, 
The Cubs are headed back to Wrigley Field. Our guy John Felice from CubsInsider.com was there over the weekend uh, as part of a little media tour that they were doing, showing everybody around. The field looks beautiful. Those new clubs inside Wrigley Field, not for me. Uh, I would venture to guess I never set foot in any of them, uh, much like I have not set foot in other certain parts of Wrigley Field. Uh, But they look nice, and if that's your jam, uh, you should be able to enjoy them, and I hope you do. But Wrigley Field looks ready. The grass looks good. You know, she's looking as beautiful as ever. The Cubs are coming home for the first time. Give us the lay of the land, Brendan. And you can get tickets for that opening series by going through SeatGeek. As you guys know, we are sponsored by SeatGeek. The ticket industry has not changed in a long time. There are a bunch of big companies who have been around forever, but don't really care about making the experience easier for the customer. Well, SeatGeek is a ticket company where the customer comes first. With more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store, SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. In fact, I will be using SeatGeek to buy tickets to the upcoming series against the Arizona Diamondbacks by the end of the month. Plus, best of all, you guys, our listeners, get $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Just use promo code CUBSRELATED for that $10 off on your first purchase, either by downloading the app or going to its desktop version. Remember, that's promo code CUBSRELATED for $10 off your first purchase. So let's preview these three games against the Pittsburgh Pirates. The first game is Monday, uh, start time of 1.20 p.m. Jameson Tyone will be making his, his third start for the Pirates. He'll be facing John Lester, who is also making his third start. Tyone on the year is 0-1 with a 3.46 ERA. Lester, as we know, is 1-0 with a 3.0 ERA. Tuesday, there will be an off day for the Cubs. They'll come back on Wednesday. They'll play the Pirates in front of a Wrigley night crowd, a start time at 7.05 p.m. Jordan Lyles takes the mound for the Pirates. He'll be facing Yu Darvish. We need Yu Darvish to get things going. Lyles, this will be his second start of the year. He had a no decision in five innings in his first start. With no runs given up, Darvish on the year, 0-1, 8.1 ERA, his third start for the year. His most recent one was a little bit better. He was removed after just 71 pitches, so looking to see him go a little bit deeper into the game. And then on Thursday, to wrap up the three-game set, we have Joe Musgrove for the Pirates facing Jose Quintana, again underneath the lights, a 7.05 p.m. start time. Like Quintana, Joe Musgrove came out of the bullpen one time this year already. This will be his second start like Quintana, but third overall appearance. Gotta say, Joe Musgrove might be my favorite pitcher on that Pirates roster. And by favorite, I mean most scared of, I guess. Uh, I think he has probably the nastiest stuff with Tyone. And for Q, you're just looking for him to get some sense of stability. So that's what I got, Corey. What are you looking for? You gotta win. We need that W flag (laughs) atop that scoreboard every day. Yeah, I mean, look, again, you... You don't want to overreact this early in the season. I think we've stressed that plenty in in all of these podcasts, unfortunately, with the way this series has gone. But you need to turn things around. You you can't stake anybody in this division, especially because the the middle of this division is going to be good, 
right? So you you can't stake anybody in this division to too crazy of a lead and just expect to be able to turn it on at some point. So it's early. You've got a ton of games left. You're back home. Turn things around right now. It's 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 that simple. Like this this Pirates team is pretty good. We've seen the Cubs and them have some good battles over the last few years. But you're getting a little home cooking finally after a long, arduous road trip. Arduous probably being generous to to this road trip. But nice vocabulary there too, by the way. Yeah, I the, the you know I try I like to that. let that University of Michigan education pay off every now and again. <laughs> but. You've got to turn it around. Like this offense has been doing good work and and really deserving of a better record uh, than they have to show for it. And let's, I think the the simplest thing to ask is let's get it all going at once. Let's score 10 runs. The starters are good. The bullpen is good. And let's just have some nice, easy wins for the Wrigley faithful. Uh, it's, It's really that simple. Just win games. And now the weather for this upcoming series is bizarre as you guys know who live in chicago as it usually is monday it's going to be beautiful in wrigley field so it's going to be 66 degrees as a high mostly sunny a slight chance of rain but most likely no rain and then on tuesday (laughs) go figure again beautiful weather high of 57 completely sunny unfortunately the cubs don't play that day They play on Wednesday, where there is, as I look right now, a 100% chance of rain with a high of 41 degrees. I I don't know if it's possible, but I I feel as if they should just move that game up from Wednesday to Tuesday. It looks as if there's no shot they're going to get that game in on Wednesday. The forecasts do change even from the morning of and the afternoon. The forecasts can always change. And then on Wednesday, again, as I'm looking at this right now, which is a Sunday evening, uh, a 90% chance of rain, some thunder, some scattered thunderstorms throughout the day, maybe some some sun peeking in every now and then, and a high of 57, so a little bit warmer. But we're looking at Wednesday and Thursday, very high likelihood of rain, very high likelihood of at least some rain delays, maybe some postponements as well. So unfortunately, if you want to see the Cubs get back on track, uh, we got to hope for the weather to cooperate here, Corey. Yeah, I mean, not much you can do about that. That's why they have the off day on Tuesday to kind of have that that wiggle room in terms of the home opener. I don't know if they, you know, if they get the home opener in. I don't know if they're able to move that game to Tuesday. I, I don't remember them ever doing. Would that assume really. not. I I would yeah. I would just guess the logistics of that are are difficult moving backwards in the schedule. Like in but, your in your memory, have they ever had that gap day on Tuesday? I feel as if they always just went one two three. I know that they've been doing that for the season opener for that's, a while, that's what I'm but saying. no, Not, I think they, the they've added. Opener. Well, you know, I mean, in the last couple of years, we have seen some of these teams get stuck with so many rainouts. Obviously, the Cubs in 2018, the, the much talked about end of the year schedule because of all of those rainouts. So just move the game up from Wednesday. They're trying. Well, you know, uh, the, I mean, the, fans you know, have tickets to Wednesday. Like, look, sorry, but yeah. you know what? You got to take them for the, you got to take them for the team. Yeah, here. and I and I know that you know it. It not everybody can play L.A. and and San Diego. In, in April, but it is kind of annoying. You you know, you look at the Cubs schedule and they're coming out to the West Coast in July. It's like, we don't need the LA weather in July. We'll be fine right. in Chicago for the most part. Um, you know, we kind of need to be bailed out here in this early month, but you just got to hope that it's, you know, something they can work around and get the games in. Cause the last thing you want is, you know, dealing with more of these scheduling things. But 
Yeah, like, look, uh, Brendan and I are obviously in Los Angeles, so we won't be able to get there. But if you're going to the home opener or any games, you know, to sort of start this homestand, I hope it's a great time. Uh, I I can't wait, as always, to get back to Wrigley Field uh, whenever I can this season. And the the you know, look, Brendan, the Cubs may be two and seven, but there are certainly worse things to be doing on a Monday afternoon than sitting at Wrigley Field watching John Lester start the home opener for the Chicago Cubs. I actually can think of very little that's better uh, to do on a Monday afternoon than just that. So again, I I, I hope if you're going, uh, it's a good time and you know, you gotta, gotta make sure you're giving the boys your support here. They, they, we, we gotta turn this thing around. We're all in this together. So, uh, I, I think let's, let's start things anew at Wrigley Field on Monday and, and kind of take the season from there. And, and hopefully we have a series win to talk about at some point, uh, this year, Brendan. It's, <laughs> I, I won, really please. am not excited about that. This is, uh, you know, what our fourth episode during the year, third episode, fourth episode, I don't know. I Whatever lose count. Uh, and we have not been here. able to recap a winning series. So that's not fun for us and also not a good trend for how things are going. But back at Wrigley Field, let's <sighs> turn it around. And I think that's all we have for you because, Brendan, as I told you, I am going to watch WrestleMania. I'm only going to mention it there. Cubs podcast. Yes. I, I hope anybody, you're hearing this on Monday, but for all my, my wrestling fan brethren out there, uh, it's like our Super Bowl, Brendan, and I, I cannot let the Cubs losing two of three to the Brewers uh, drag me down. Just today. Every other day, I, I, I'm more than happy to be in the uh, in the doldrums of of our minds with you but today uh, I'm not going to allow that so we will talk to you guys after the Cubs finish with the Pirates on Thursday again I am desperately hoping we can just be all positive like no no concerns they're back the Cubs are back everything's fine I hope that's what we're able to do but either way uh, we will be with you uh, in the middle of this week on Thursday Friday morning, we'll record on Thursday night after the Cubs are finished with the Pittsburgh Pirates. As always, we thank you guys for listening. Uh, it's It's been a rough go of it in the first part, but we're, we're always happy to jump on here and uh, commiserate with you and, and look at the positives with you. So it's early. We're going to turn things around at Wrigley Field. I, I really genuinely believe that. So as always, we thank you guys for listening. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you prefer to listen to your podcasts, I believe we are there. We are also featured now on the Cubs Insider YouTube channel. Uh, You can get all of our episodes there, along with some other very fine podcasts, such as Ivy Envy and the San Ranto Show. So if you prefer listening on YouTube, we are there. We will also post the episodes directly to CubsInsider.com. So one way or another, you should be able to listen to this podcast. Of course, if you are having any issues finding it, getting it on a particular medium, etc. Please just let us know. Uh, we obviously would like to know that uh, to fix it, but we also, you know, don't want you guys hunting around for this. We want it to be easy for you guys to find these episodes and join us, uh, which as always, we appreciate you doing. So again, we will talk to you on Friday morning or very late Thursday night if you are up and want to listen to it then. Uh, after the Cubs finish with the Pirates, I hope everybody has fun at Wrigley Field and whether they are two and seven or not, uh, we will always be here chanting, Go Cubs.
The following is a true story. I had a lady that was in her mid-70s, and I'd sold her timeshare, and that was the lowest I'd ever felt in my life. I knew then that I had to do something to simply not to go to hell for selling timeshare. Chuck McDowell founded Wesley Financial Group to help folks cancel their timeshares permanently. Called her and everybody that I'd sold timeshare to, and I said, this is what I said to you that was a lie, and this is what you need to do to cancel your timeshare. From that point, people started referring friends to me to help them cancel the timeshare, and that's how it all started. I fought the world's largest timeshare company in federal court. If I had lost that lawsuit, there would be no one helping people that have been lied to when they bought timeshare. If we take you as a client, we will cancel your timeshare or we'll give your money back. That's what makes us different. Call Wesley Financial Group now for a free information kit. 800-885-4884. That's 800-885-4884. 800-885-4884. Each of us has a purpose. We are destined to do something meaningful, not only to support our loved ones, but to positively impact our communities throughout the country. What do you think a private Christian education looks like? Grand Canyon University graduates 25,000 students yearly and offers more than 225 high-quality programs across nine colleges. Find your purpose at GCU. Visit gcu.edu. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.